right. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening to an, uh, another episode of Me and a Bunch of White Girls. We are wrapping up season one. This is episode 15. As always, I am your host, Clark, the media consultant based here in Washington, D.C. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with the show, inviting all my friends uh, to talk about white women, their bullshit, and microaggressions in general, um, and how we have grown uh, through them, over them, around them, and continue to do so. So today I have my friend Huma. We're newly new friends. Um, Huma is a consultant based here in Washington, D.C. as well, uh, focusing on technology and humanitarian work. Um, I don't know much about the firm you work for. So what does humanitarian work look like where you are? So... Our um, company is a technology consulting okay. focus, um, but the humanitarian aspect comes in with the projects we take on mm-hmm. um, to create an, a more efficient platform for humanitarian agencies to conduct their work. Okay. So it's corporate goes nonprofit kind of an idea. Okay, I like it. How long have you been doing it? For less than a year now. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm fairly new to the company, so I've, I've definitely drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> so I might change my opinion in a few months or a year, but for now, I'm pretty happy. That's awesome. So what were you doing before this? I was applying for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to survive DC rents. Yeah. Um, and um, before that, I was working on uh, political campaigns. Oh, nice. Yeah. Can you say what campaign you worked on? I can totally say what <laughs> I <laughs> I worked on um, Hillary's campaign in Pennsylvania and okay. then Ralph Northam in Virginia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I went from chaos to corporate. <laughs> I like that. That can be the title of your memoir. <laughs> um, so we met through a mutual friend. Shout out to Lauren, um, yeah. <laughs> who's also been on the show. You should go listen to her episode as well. Um, and we, like, over the months that we've known each other, we've talked a little bit about your background and school. Because um, I met some of your college friends as well. So you... Moved to the United States when? 2002 at the age of 16. Okay. After spending much of your childhood in a war zone. Yes. So um, spent 10 years in Afghanistan, uh, which is where I was born. Mm -hmm. And then um, spent six years in Pakistan as a refugee Mm -hmm. before um, my whole family moved to the U.S. Okay, and that's that. Your whole family includes you, parents, brothers. Okay, how many brothers do you have? Two. Oh, are they older or younger? Ye- older. Oh, I'm the you're baby. The baby, me too. It sucks. <laughs> so I'm like a baby and an only. I'm my dad's baby, but I'm my mom's only. Oh, yeah. That has privileges, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, being like- the youngest is not. A privileged position. What? 
points. I mean, I'm the only girl, so that gives me some brownie points. But growing up, I always had to fetch the water and fetch the salts Mm. and (laughs) do the dishes. Okay, yeah. That's real, too. Yeah. So where did you go to high school? San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And you left almost like immediately after to go to college. No. So I took about four years off. Okay. I worked full time after high school and uh, more than four years. Um, And then at 24, my dad gave me the option of getting married or going back to college. Wow. (laughs) So the choice was clear. I was not about to get married. Um, So then I went. I applied for colleges. I got in as a non-traditional student um, in a small private liberal arts college in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. So shout out to Appleton. (laughs) Uh, Cheap beer, great cheese, good football. (laughs) It's like the three things you can give it. (laughs) Yeah. So I've I've been to San Diego once. Mm -hmm. It was very lovely, very beautiful, and very freaking white. It's a it's a good mix compared to anywhere else. I mean, I did live in Wisconsin, so I can't really say <laughs> that. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it can get wider than Wisconsin. So, so how racially diverse was your high school? It, so San Diego, especially the county I lived in, was pretty diverse. Oh, okay. Uh, we had a lot of um, Chaldean. Iraqi students. Oh, wow. Um, we had a lot of um, Hispanic students and, you know, well, plenty of white students. Uh, <laughs> there's no, There's no shortage of it. Um, yeah, the majority were definitely white, but uh, there was a significant presence of minority groups. Oh, that's good. So what were some of the things you experienced from students who one we've established multiple times like high school kids are the worst yes. <laughs> teenagers just period suck so yes. they're already gonna be moronic yeah. um and you were coming from a background many of them probably didn't understand mm-hmm. so what were the, some of the things you were experiencing with some of those students um so it was it was definitely an interesting transition um I went from a very conservative private um, school in Pakistan that had a total student population of 100 students Mm. where we had every morning we had our nails checked. So we weren't allowed nail polish or eyeliner, uh, extremely strict. And this was 10th grade up to 10th grade, moved to the U.S. in the middle of 10th grade went to an American public high school in San Diego where just my graduating class was over 500 students. Mm -hmm. And um, right at the onset, they said, well, we don't really know what a Pakistani education looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're going to put you in the special students class. Mm -hmm. And me being completely oblivious to what that meant, I said, okay, well, if they don't think I'm ready, 
who am I to think I'm ready? Mm. Uh, this class was not a special ed class. It was not an ESL class. It was literally the students who had failed multiple times. Wow. Or had been in like detention so many times that they just created a, a new class for them. So it was literally for the delinquents of the mm. high school. Hmm. And so I was sent to that. Um, it was pretty terrifying because if, you know, you think of an average high school student who doesn't know where Afghanistan is, doesn't know what a Pakistani education comes with. Um, now imagine the worst of all of that put together in one room who don't even know what happened in the next county over rather than forget forget about Afghanistan. Uh, so there was a lot of like, oh my God, did you ride camels to school? Um, and it got to the point where by the time I graduated, I had been asked that question so many times that I had the go-to lie that, yeah, I had a camel, she was white. Her name was Dorothy. And believe it or not, people bought that. <laughs> they were like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I so apparently I had a white camel named Dorothy in a country I did not go to school in. So, so with these experiences, like I, that lies actually pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> As makeup answers go, like, that's pretty great. A white camel. A white camel. (laughs) Dorothy, that you were to school. Um, So when you you first heard stuff like that and people questioning your background, like, were you – what kind of prep did you get? Did your parents prepare you for any of, like, these interactions? Did the teachers, administrators, anyone? Or were they just like, okay – Oh, See you, yeah, girl. there was no preparation. My, I mean, my parents had no idea this That's was true. even happening. They were in a, a kind of a fight or flight mode, just getting us here. Um, they had no idea what to, I mean, they still, to a certain degree, don't realize what the concept of microaggression or racism or cultural um conflicts really are mm. uh but the school did nothing no like nobody cared um which was surprising considering i moved towards the end of 2002 which was only a year after 911 and i would have assumed looking back now obviously hindsight is 2020 I would have expected schools to be more proactive in avoiding overt racism at school campuses, given what happened in 9-11. Um, so that was just shocking that mm-hmm. nobody knew how to even handle the situation. Mm. And I was in such a survival mode that it wasn't like, it didn't even cross my mind. Oh, I should be complaining about this or this is not okay. Right. Um, those things don't occur to you when it's happening. Right. 
Was it hard to make friends in that setting? Uh, yeah, it was definitely not easy. Uh, I'm a very chatty person in general, mm-hmm. so it's never been difficult for me to make friends, but it was, I had to, I constantly felt like I needed to prove myself. And with that, it was this constant like, oh, why are you wearing long sleeve shirts during the summer? Well, I've never worn short sleeve shirts ever. Mm-hmm. So when summer comes around, my refugee uh, inner refugee is like, oh my God, how am I supposed to handle this? Mm. Uh, and there was, instead of people saying, hey, you know, it's going to be hot, you should wear clothes like this, people instead, girls mostly, would make fun of me for wearing full jeans and a long sleeve shirt. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I did make a couple of friends, um, that are still my closest friends, mm-hmm. two of my best friends, really, um, both white mm-hmm. and, uh, one's of Russian and Armenian origin. So when okay. I, when I call her white, she argues she's not, um, I don't know how much I believe that argument, <laughs> but um, and then the other one is just um, she was born, raised in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Your classic blonde, blue-eyed white girl, <laughs> um, but I I do love her to pieces. Yeah, yeah. So what brought you guys together? Like, uh, actually, she was the only person who, you know, how in high school you have the same people in multiple classes. Mm -hmm. So she was the only one who consistently corrected teachers on my Mm. name. Mm. So all the teachers kept calling me Hannah. Because apparently Huma is so difficult. Um, So they kept calling me Hannah. And Ashley would always be like, it's Huma. It's Huma. To the point where... um, graduation around graduation the teachers had put on her yearbook hey ashley it's huma (laughs) mr such and such um it had become her tagline Mm, so that's a good friend yeah she really (laughs) without even knowing me she always had my back yeah um so we it just naturally developed into a very trusted friendship yeah So did you stay in this class setting that you were describing? Did you stay in in those classes like all year for your entire high school experience? No. So very soon, uh, the teacher, Mm -hmm. bless his heart, uh, Mr. Cook, I think his name was, or Mr. Crook. (laughs) I don't don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Cook, Uh but... He realized that I was not a delinquent. Mm. Um, I think we were taking a quiz and I said, oh, yeah, I had read Pride and Prejudice in third grade, which I had. And he was like, oh, you don't belong here. So then he talked to the school counselor, I think, Mm -hmm. and 
um, they made the necessary changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, honestly, like, that's so rare. <laughs> yeah. No, I, this guy was definitely, he was creepy. Mm-hmm. He was definitely a creepy old white man. Um, thinking back at it, he would always say, you have a beautiful smile, which now I think is very creepy, but, mm-hmm. um, at least he got me out of the delinquents <laughs> class, so um, that's saying something. Yeah. I mean, I had a very similar experience as well. I moved around a lot when I was in the military, and I went to eighth grade. Um, and then when I we moved again for high school, and I didn't even think anything of it. Like, I'd always been one of the smartest kids in my classes, so when I got to ninth grade and I was in the classes I was in, I didn't think anything of it. I wasn't thinking about, you know, advanced placement this or pre-advanced placement that. That wasn't in my mind at all. It was just like, I'm going to school. Like, I'm assuming you know what you're doing, teachers and administrators, yep. and you're putting me where I need to belong. And I was in a geography class, like world geography class. We'd taken like an, an assessment of some sort. And in that particular class, I think I was the only black student or one of two, maybe. I went to a really white high school. And my teacher, I'm just like walking around school after class. She sees me. She's like, hey, like you did really well. (laughs) They put me in like basic world geography or something like that, like the standard class. I was like, okay, (laughs) thanks. Thanks. She's like, why aren't you in like pre-AP? And I was like. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. No one ever mentioned that to me in eighth grade. No one mentioned it to me when I moved. Like, no one said anything to me about that. They just put me where they put me. And she was like, "That they put you in the wrong class. Yes. <laughs> she was like, you know, it's going to be a little bit more work just to warn you. But I think you should be in that class based on, like, how you scored on this test. Yeah. I was like, well, thank you for saying something. Someone. Someone said something. Um, and kind of like, you know, because that was like the first class freshmen were allowed to take, like an advanced placement class that they were allowed to take before it kind of like was supposed to lead you down the road of more AP classes later yeah. on in your high school experience. But if there's no teacher advocating for you or speaking up for you when they see you doing, performing incredibly well, like, Yeah. It sets a tone. It, it sets up your like base, like in a weird way, like almost your entire, your entire future. Life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Life. Along those lines, so um, when you said that, I remembered when I first went to this high school with my mom and my cousin, whose kids already attended that school. Mm-hmm. Uh. I had my brother had said ask about advanced classes mm-hmm. and ask them for an assessment exam. Mm-hmm. My sixteen-year-old self yeah. didn't know anything, so when I went and the, I think they were called high school counselors. Yeah, um, this woman, I, I I'm sure she's not going to be listening to this, so I'm going to call her out. Mrs. Bartlett mm-hmm. was uh, like. Oh, so I asked, can I be in advanced classes? And she said, honestly, you should just focus on surviving high school. Given your background, where you come from, uh, you should just 
try to try to finish high school, go to a community college, and you'll be okay. She set the tone yeah. for my entire future. I mean, yeah. if a school official doesn't think I'm capable of advancing in high school and then going off to a great school where my brother, older brother, had gone to Amherst College. Mm -hmm. My other brother was attending Lawrence University, mm -hmm. which is where I ended up going. Um, how was I supposed to... Okay, so I'm a 16-year-old girl who... Mm -hmm is clearly not smart enough to be in this high school, let alone go to a college. So she set the tone for every high school failure and kind of a lead on to me lacking the desire to even go to college mm -hmm. because I had no self-esteem, and I was specifically told by a certified academic advisor that I was not going to make it. So that the best you could do, do was, was try. try to survive finish try. high school. Yeah. Wow. Um, someday I will go and be like, "Here's my Ivy League education certificate," <laughs> but today I won't. <laughs> so. One of the things that I, I've been wanting to talk about on the show, and I think we do, um, like how these micro, microaggressions, like you remember this teacher, you remember everything that she said to you in that moment. And like, if you were to bring it up to her, she'd be like, oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah. Like it just immediately is something that's like forgotten yeah. by these women, by people, by white people in general. And it's like, it's something that you hold on to and you live with and like drastically impacts the way you think and look at yourself and what you're capable of doing. Yeah. So what started to like, what was the thing? When was the moment that like you start to undo that? Oh, wow. That work. That work has not been undone yet. Mm. That's real. <laughs> it's That's still, real. It's yeah. still in the process yeah. of being undone. But I had a very good conversation about this very recently, actually, about how trauma or um, experiences in general, negative experiences, leave such a lifelong mark mm -hmm. on the person being affected and not at all for the person who is inflicting it. Yeah. And... It's because for them, it's such a passive thing to do um, that they don't even think about it twice. Yeah. They don't, maybe they don't realize it. Um, but for the person who experiences it, like, I didn't even remember this woman's name until just now when we started mm. talking and it all just came crashing back. Um but yeah, so I guess going back to your question, um, I kind of hit rock bottom emotionally um, around 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. And that was when my dad was like, okay, you need to figure out your life. And so I applied to a bunch of colleges and with no 
college background and being a non-traditional student, I had no chance Mm. of getting in. And my brother, who is a lifelong charmer, Mm. uh, he had established such a strong place in the hearts of everyone at his college. Mm-hmm. Um, so he reached out to the admissions office at his college and said, my sister's applying. Can you guys just take a look at her application? And so they took a look at what I had done and my work experience And the admissions guy called me and said, uh, and his job was literally to recruit diverse students, not Mm -hmm. just racially diverse, but also experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said, I'm going to take a big risk because I like you. Mm -hmm. You you seem interesting. Um, but we're going to start with a one semester probationary phase. Wow. And if you do well, you can get all the scholarships. You are good to go. If you don't do well, you just have to pack up and go back home. Wow. And I moved come September, I think, 4th. So Three days after my birthday, mm-hmm. moved to Wisconsin, Appleton, Wisconsin, and uh, realized there was tornadoes were a real thing. Mm. Uh, um, and so I went to Wisconsin, and I was given one of the best academic advisors. He was the meanest man I've ever met. Also, the most incredible human being. Mm. Crazy. Just absolutely crazy. But brilliant. Mm. And he sat down with me and kind of went over all the classes I was supposed to take and what classes would ensure that I would succeed, Mm. not knowing the deal that I had made with the admissions office. Just simply being an academic advisor. That semester, or the trimester because we had trimesters i had a 3.9 gpa so i obviously stayed Uh uh-huh yeah you did (laughs) (laughs) and um i will it's it's crazy because this whole podcast is about microaggression and and white people white women Mm -hmm. um but what gave me my life back was literally a school in the whitest possible mm. state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, definitely a very diverse school. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was the beginning of a completely new life, a completely new me. Yeah. Being in Appleton, like we've talked about high school, have any of the, did any of those situations from high school kind of pop up again in your college experience i'm pretty sure i told the white camel dorothy joke a couple of times but for the most part lawrence has always attracted very um curious students Mm -hmm. 
Um, maybe not the kids in the conservatory, but, you know, they don't know anything beyond their violins anyway. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, people were, if not aware, mm-hmm. they were, um, before this term even became a thing, they were woke. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were curious to know about things or pretended to know about things and then went and Googled it. So um, for the most part, Lawrence was pretty good about that. It's also an extremely liberal, liberal arts college. So there's no, there's no gray zone there. You're, you're definitely either, you know it or you don't. Yeah. So now that you're, in Washington, D.C. Is your family still in California? Yes. Okay. You're in Washington, D.C. Like, and one of the things we've talked about a couple of times, like microaggressions experience in super diverse areas like Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what's better? What's worse? You know? Yeah. Um, it It's actually interesting you say that because in Wisconsin, I was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so different that the local, not, not the school, but the city newspaper did a front page. I kid you not. My face is smack in the front page, uh, article about the first Afghan woman to go to Lawrence University. Wow. It was such a big deal that the city, ta- like the town newspaper, slapped my face in the front page of the newspaper it was like it was like camera crew and like one night i was walking to the liquor store and there's my face in a magazine like what do you call it newspaper stand yeah i was like wait that's me oh wait that (laughs) is me um but it it was never it was out of a lack of knowledge Mm. it was rarely out of aggression Mm. living in new york especially in new york and then also in new york city and also in dc but new york always caught me off guard Mm. because new york is so diverse and nobody's from new york Mm. so the question always came where are you from? Mm. And in a New York setting, you always say, San, like, California or San Diego. Um, but this has been in a recurring conversation over the past few years, but when New York and now in D.C., when where I'm asked, where are you from? And I say, California. And they say, Oh, where are you specifically from? And I say, oh, San Diego. Um, and a lot of times I know what they're trying to get at, mm-hmm. but until they get their question right, I'm not going to get, give them the right answer. Um, so I think if I were to kind of summarize the overarching theme of my 16 years in the U.S., yeah. It always goes back to the question of where are you from? Mm-hmm. Um, 
what's your background? Um, you have an interesting name. Where is it from? Mm-hmm. And uh, what does your name mean? Is it Arabic? Mm-hmm. Uh, questions that all dance around the one main question. Why are you brown? Mm. Or what kind of brown are you? And that will always be the reason why I won't feel like an insider. Mm. Um, If I were to go back to Afghanistan, I'm not going to be considered an Afghan. Everyone will be like, there's an American girl. Yeah. Nothing about me, except for maybe my eyebrows, is Afghan. Mm. And so I don't belong there, but these beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed girls here look at me and mm-hmm. they don't see a reflection of themselves and they cannot put it together that I can be brown and I can be from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's almost like forcing me to identify as something that I don't identify as. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the strange yeah. aspect of microaggression and lack of diversity in a diverse place yeah yeah so you touched on the fact that like you're still working on undoing (laughs) yes the the damage damage. (laughs) as like i think pretty much everyone is so like what have you done what has helped you to do that work um a lot of meditation Mm. um a lot of coming to terms with Knowing myself, uh, it's definitely the hardest thing anyone can go through. And that's why a lot of people don't. Um, A lot of us say, I'm working on it. And it's the easiest to put on the back burner. Heck, it's easiest to put on, like, under the fridge. Yeah. Um, But it was definitely one of those... Okay, so who do I identify as? Um, what is important to me? There's definitely Afghan values that I hold very dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely aspects of Islam that I still somewhat practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not just an American. I'm not just... A brown girl, I'm not just an Afghan. And it took kind of coming to terms with all the different things that I valued mm-hmm. and accepting them as part of who I am to kind of build the foundation of the recovery. Yeah. So I'm yep. not I'm not saying that's all of recovery, but uh, you can't expect others to know you if you don't know yourself. I agree with that completely and it's a perfect place to wrap up Emma thank you so much for coming on the show everyone please follow me and a bunch of white girls on twitter 
and on Instagram. If you like what you're hearing, become a patron on Patreon um, and help support the Black women who are helping me do this whole thing. Um, Thank you for listening. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Please, of course. (laughs)